And we're going to read uh, two uh, passages today. So if you guys want to bear with me. The first passage will be Matthew chapter 1. Verse 1 to 6. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 to 6. And I'll read this for us. This is the ESV version. And as I read, uh, just a reminder, this is the Word of God. Verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, and Tamar, and Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king, Amen. and David, and the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Amen. That's Matthew. We're going to jump to uh, Joshua together. So it's in the Old Testament. Joshua chapter 2. Verse 1 to 15. Joshua chapter 2. Verse 1 to 15. There's a long passage. Please bear with me and read along with me. Verse 1. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of the prostitute, whose name was Rahab, and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here to search out the land. Verse 3. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken out the two men and hidden them, hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were, where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. Verse 6. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order to, on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords. And the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Verse 8. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know the Lord has given you the land, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to, to Sihon and Og whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you, for the Lord your God. He is God in the heaven above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save Alive, my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. Verse 14. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Verse 15. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall. 
said she lived in the wall. And verse 16. And she said to them, Go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward you may go your way. Sorry, guys, I'm to 18. There were a few changes. Verse 17, the men said to her, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Verse 18, last verse, behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and your mother and your brothers and all your father's household. Amen. Thank you, Peter. It's my bad. I kept changing um, the passage, the verses he, he should read. Um, hi, it's good to see you. Right? Who's excited? Yeah, oh, okay. One of us here and one of us here. Um, yeah, I said this at the Friday prayer meeting we had, but um, this is good for me, right? I've really needed this. I've needed to gather with uh, the saints and to hear um, the church sing and pray. And as we glorify God together, um, I think it does something, you know, really uh, good in our souls, right? To know that we're not doing this by ourselves. And hopefully today as we gather together um, and we direct all attention to God, uh, that there might be good that God does in your soul as well. Uh, We launched at the start of this year, as you probably know, we spent 25 Sundays together before lockdown hit. And I I was sitting there counting my calendar. And then we spent 23 Sundays on Zoom. Right? That's a long time. Basically the same amount of time we were in person, we were on a screen. And so it's so good uh, to be back. And um, yeah, we trust that despite the fact that Zoom uh, lockdown wasn't the way that we would have wanted to plant, uh, that God is still in control and doing a good thing in Kingsway. And so with that kind of hope and passion, uh, let's finish the year strong and let's look to what God has in plan for next year. Now, we started a new series uh, last week. Uh, Daniel kicked us off. Um, it's going to lead all the way through Christmas until the end of the year, and it's called uh, The Christmas Tree, right? And the kind of the play on words is that we're looking at the tree, the family tree of Christ, right? In Matthew chapter 1, we find the lineage of Jesus, right? Uh, how um, someone had a son, and they had a son, and they had a son, and it leads the way to Jesus. We're looking at that lineage. And if you look at Matthew chapter 1, there's five women that stand out. Right, in a sea of men. And we're looking at each of these women uh, leading up to Christmas and as we finish this year. And so today, I'm looking at Rahab. Right? We're looking at Rahab, the passage we just read. Now, one of the key truths about Christmas uh, that Christmas reminds us is that you know, our past mistakes don't have to define us. But as we're in the Christmas season, one of the key truths of Christmas is that our past mistakes don't have to define us. You know, I was watching this really uh, deep and thought-provoking movie the other day uh, that proves this point. Uh, You may have heard of the movie. It's called Fast and Furious 9. Uh, (laughs) I won't give too much away. If you don't like spoilers, you might want to block your ear. But, you know, the movie begins with this antagonist, the enemy. And immediately you you dislike them. You're like, ah, they're horrible. They're doing horrible things to horrible people. I wish the, the worst for them. But somehow, through the movie, by the end of it, that person, the enemy, becomes an ally. They become a friend. And it's really weird. Like, by the end of the movie, the person that you've been, you know, wishing the worst for, you're actually wishing, you know, the best for. You want them to win. Um, On one hand, it's it's crazy that in the span of, 
an hour and a half, like someone could go from one extreme to the other. Right? But this actually happens all the time if you watch movies. If you're an Avengers fan, you think about Loki, right? He tried to destroy the world, right? He brought havoc to New York. But then a couple of movies later, you're like, yeah, I like Loki, right? He's funny. And he gets his own TV show and he's kind of like a hero now, right? You watch movies, this happens all the time. But what's also crazy is that we accept it. Like, I sat through Fast 9 hating the guy, and by the end of it, I liked him. And I think that's because we, like kind of deep down, we love a redemptive story. We love this idea that someone who could seem so far gone can by the end of their lives or the end of two hours become something totally different, something better, that no one is unredeemable. I think deep down, we love that idea. We love the idea that our past mistakes don't have to define us. And if there's one incredible redemptive story in the Bible, I think it's the one that we just read in Joshua chapter 2, the story of Rahab. It really kind of pushes this point home, the fact that our past doesn't have to define us. So we're going to look at the story of Rahab today, this Christmas season, to remind us right, of this truth. And so let's look at her, number one, her unexpected failure of the fonts. Uh, you don't want, you know, we're, just, we're just getting used to stuff. Yeah, okay, all right. The font's a bit ugly, but it's okay. Um, verse 1, let me read verse 1. I love it, it's okay. Joshua, the son of Nun, he sent two men secretly, and I'm just reading the Bible here, from Shittim as spies, saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. And so we're at a place where Joshua is sending two spies to this um, place called Jericho to spy out the place. Now, to really understand kind of the momentous kind of significance of this kind of situation, we have to wind back hundreds of years. We're talking generations ago when there was a man named Abraham. And God came to Abraham and he said, I choose you and I want to send you to a place that I've kind of promised you. And I'm going to build from you a whole nation. And you're going to bless right, the world. But I'm not going to do it now, he says. In Genesis 15, 16, God says, I'm going to wait for the sins of the Amorites to reach their full measure. I want to wait until their sins are just so bad that you know, they need to be wiped out. I'm going to wait for that moment, and then you will go to that place. And so we wait. And if you know the story, we've got Abraham, and then it's difficult, but they conceive. They have Isaac, and then they have Jacob. And Jacob has 12 sons. And one of them, his name's Joseph. He gets betrayed by his brothers, right? He ends up in Egypt. He becomes the second most powerful person in Egypt. There's a famine, and then his whole family ends up coming to Egypt, right? You then pass 400 years, you got a guy named Moses. God chooses Moses to save his people from Egypt. You got the plagues, you got the Passover, the parting of the Red Sea, right? Do you guys kind of know these stories? They wander through the wilderness, and then they get to the edge of the promised land. Remember, this is the promise that God gave to Abraham. This is the place that God had promised. And they're about to enter, and Moses sends 12 spies into the land. They come back, and they report what they've seen. Two of them, they respond positively. Right? The names are, um, where am I? Caleb and Joshua. And they say, we can do it. We are able to overcome these people, right? because God is with us. But the 10, the other 10, they come back. And they basically say, no way. 
These guys are like giants, and we are grasshoppers in their sight. They're going to crush us. And basically, it doesn't matter what God has promised us. This is impossible for us to do. And basically, the group, they, they, there's a mutiny, and they, they disobey, and they don't believe. And God's like, this is the final straw, guys. You've complained all through the wilderness. You guys aren't going to enter the promised land. I'm going to make you wander around in the wilderness for another 40 years. And no one of this generation is going to step into the promised land. No one except Joshua and Caleb. And so that's what they do. For 40 years, they wander around. Everyone dies of old age. And then finally, Joshua takes the place of Moses. And they get a second chance to enter the promised land. This is hundreds of years in the making. This is generations in the making. This is a big moment. And so what we find in Joshua chapter 2 verse 1 is Joshua, he sends again spies. This time he sends two, not 12, and they go to spy out the land. And what happens? Verse 1. Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. We're introduced to the person, the main person we're looking at today, Rahab here. This mission has to succeed. And for some reason, the spies land on the house of Rahab. And there's two things to point out about her. Number one, she's an enemy. She's a part of the Canaanites that God has said, I want you to wipe them out. The people that are so sinful that God is saying, I want you to destroy them. She's an enemy. She's just low-key. Right? Horrible. We don't like her. The second thing is, she's the worst of those people. The only thing we really know about her is that she's a prostitute. Right? Rahab, the prostitute. Every biblical writer except Matthew, when they talk about Rahab, they call her Rahab the prostitute at least once. It's like, th- that's who she is. Rahab? Oh, oh, the prostitute. You know her. She lives over there. She does those things. You know, it might have been some bad life choices, regretful mistakes, low moral code, but for some reason, she ended up you know, in this profession, in this occupation. We don't know what made her get there, but you know, when you keep reading, what we do know is that she's become rich now. She lives alongside the wall, which means she has a view to the outside world. That's not cheap real estate. That's expensive. But even though she's gathered a lot of money through her occupation, she's still practicing right, as a prostitute. She must love money or something like that. So she's still driven by these kind of unworldly things. So here's Rahab. She's really the, the worst of the worst. The Canaanites horrible people, but right at the, the, in the midst of them, the worst is this kind of person. No moral code, loves money, right? Willing to do anything just to get what she wants, really. And that's why the spies are there. You know, the spies are looking for a dodgy, dark, discreet part of the city where they can knock on someone's door and when they open the door, they won't say, whoa, who are you? I've never seen you before. But when they knock on the door, they'll open the door and say, come in, come in, come in. And so out of all the dodgiest and darkest and most discreet places that they can find in this corrupt city, they find the house of Rahab. Because, again, she's the worst. 
This is the place where illegal activities is normal, where guards don't frequent. They know that this is the place that they need to get to because it's the most crooked place. It ticks all the wrong boxes. This is the place that, if they, that they might not get caught at because it's so illegal. They're not here because she's a great person. They're not here because they think she might do great things, but the opposite. They know she's corrupt and depraved. And so they come knocking at her door and they stay there. Rahab has just an unexpected list of failures, really even out of a corrupt people. And maybe you know someone like that. Right? I think we all know someone like Rahab. Right? The list of all your Facebook friends, the worst of the worst. Or someone whose past decisions define them. Or someone whose list of failures is like a long list, like a laundry list. Maybe their life decisions took them down the wrong path. And often we look at people like this and we think, you know, they're too far gone. Right? There's no way that someone like that can actually get out of the place that they're in. Right? There's no way that they can fix or clean up the mess that they've put themselves in. Maybe the best that they can do for the rest of their lives is just stop getting into any more trouble. But good come out of their lives? No, I don't think so. And in our minds... Sometimes we, we box them in as if you know, there's only a limit to the good that can come out of that person's life. And we all know someone like that. Maybe the person that you know is close to you. Maybe that person that you're thinking about is yourself. But the Christmas message is that our past mistakes don't have to define us. Right? No mistake is unforgivable. And no life is unredeemable. We want to find that. We see Rahab respond with this unexpected faith. As the story goes on, the king finds out pretty quickly somehow. So he sends his guards with a message, and the message is here. Verse 3. Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. The people knock on her door, she opens up, there's guards. And they're saying, bring out the spies. We know that they came into your house. But what's she going to do? We know what Rahab's going to do. She loves money. She's going to give up the spies, get a bit of a reward, dust her hands. It's done. Right? She doesn't care that they're going to die. She has no moral code. She'll just do whatever she wants for herself. She's the bottom of the barrel, and the barrel that she's at the bottom of is Jericho a city full of sin and corruption and self-centeredness. But then look at what she does. Right in verse 4 to 7, if you read the passage, it's interesting. She hides the spies up in her roof and she sends the guards on a wild goose chase outside the city. I think they went over there. She risks her life for the spies. Rahab, who's lived a life just for herself, to, to, to better her life, is willing to put her life on the line for these people that she's never met. It's really weird. And the reason why we find in verse 9, this is what she tells the spies. She goes up to them and this is what she says, I know that the Lord has given you the land 
and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites, etc. Rahab has heard the stories of God. He parted the Red Sea. He destroyed his enemies. And they're afraid of her. And verse 9, she says, I know that the Lord has given you this land. I know. Right, when you think about what she's saying, it's astonishing. She has greater faith than the 10 spies that Moses sent out and came back and said, we can't do this. No way. They're giants and we are grasshoppers. You know, those 10 spies, they'd been there when God parted the Red Seas. They'd seen it with their own very eyes, like that the sea just went, I don't know. Have you seen um, Prince of Egypt? Right? I'm imagining that right now. And there's whales kind of floating around and they're walking on dry land and the waters are just like held back by the power of God. They were right there. Right there in the wilderness when God's sending manna from heaven out of nowhere, feeding them. And even though they'd experienced it, and Rahab has only heard about it, she says, I know God will give you this land. Whereas the spies say, no, 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 we're not sure about that. The spies were fearful of the Canaanites and doubted God, whereas Rahab believes God. And she's fearful of him. Right? What incredible faith. And that's why she has the courage to risk her life for the spies. Because she, she's standing in a place, right, where I think a lot of us, we get to. You know, we hear a lot of things about God, but that's really not enough. Because you need to go from hearing to believing. Right, I heard, she says, now I know. I know things about God. I know God is real. I know God sent his son. I know this is what God wants for my life. But really, that's not enough either. Because there comes moments like Rahab where what we know is tested. And we have a choice to either live out what I know or just ignore it. I want to call this a lived out faith. And when the guards came knocking at her door and she opens it up, she had a choice to make. In her mind, she said, I know that God's going to take over this city. And so I'm either going to bank my life with the Canaanites and their army and the, the strength of these walls to stop God, or I'm going to bank my life with what I say I know, that I'm going to bank my life with God. Because I believe he's going to take it over. And in that place, she made a decision that aligned with her faith. I'm going to risk my life, protect these spies, and I'm going to throw myself in with God because I believe he has all the power. You know, when you think about it, her risking her life was not a risk at all. It was the, the most secure decision to make because she believed. You know, I think so often we're in a similar place where, you know, we have to decide whether what we believe will be lived out in our day-to-day. And what Rahab does, which is incredible, is she lives out her faith. She trusts God. She risks her life because she believes that's the wisest choice to make. Now, even though she was a person who had only 
heard about God you know, off the grapevine. She was a person distanced with a big wall between her and God. She had a faith that really surpassed so many people in Israel, and she lived it out. You know, we often think that, you know, I, I do, like, if I was a Bible, Bible character, I would do better than them. If, if I was in the garden, I would never have eaten from that tree. Like, do you ever think like that? <laughs> you know, but I think the reality is, like, every day we, we, we don't make those godly decisions. We don't live out our faith. We don't make the obedient choice. Right? If we reflect on our lives, do we live out our faith like Rahab did in this passage? Do you risk and sacrifice things in your life because you believe the things about God are true? Right? If you do believe these things about God, following Him is the safest and best decision to make. So Rahab has an unexpected list of failures But then she responds with an unexpected faith in God. And what is most unexpected is the rest of her life, her future, and the way that God redeems her. After Rahab hides the spies, she secretly lowers them through the window because, again, she lives in the wall. She lowers them through the outside wall. And one of the last things the spies say to her is this, verse 18. Behold, when we come into the land... You shall tie this scarlet cord, that's a red cord, in the window through which you let us down. And they basically say, if you tie this on your window, you won't die. And your family, you and your family, everyone in the house, you'll live. But if you don't do this, you're going to die. The judgment of God and the death is going to come into your life. So what does she do? She ties it on a window. And if you know the story, when we go to Joshua chapter 6, The people of Israel come to Jericho. This is the kind of kid's story, you know. And God says, you know, I don't want you to use weapons. I want you to play music. And I want you to walk around the walls of Jericho, right, for seven days. It's a kind of crazy thing to do, right? This is them trusting in God and his power. So they're going around, you know, playing music around the wall. On the seventh day, they do it. (laughs) It's kind of ridiculous. On the seventh day, they do it seven times. You can imagine the, the Canaanites being like, what's going on? We're going to beat these guys. On the seventh day, they walk around seven times, and they stop, and they shout. And as they shout, the walls of Jericho come crumbling down. What an amazing miracle. You probably know this story. What you may not know is that as the walls come crumbling down, there's a part of the wall that doesn't. And the part that just stands is the part where Rahab lives. That's a miracle. Joshua, he says in verse 22, chapter 6, verse 22, go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belong to her as you swore to her. Isn't that crazy? She ties a red cord on her window and that basically saves her house and saves her life. You know, it's difficult not to look back when you see that imagery, to a moment when the people of Israel are in Egypt and God says something similar. It's not a cord, but it's red blood. Take the blood of a lamb, he says, and paint it on your doorframe because the angel of death is going to visit the place of Egypt today, tonight, 
and it's going to kill the firstborn of every house. But if you have that blood painted on your door, it will pass over your house, and death will not visit your house. Right? Similarly, Rahab puts a red cord on her, kind of her door to the outside world, and the death of God passes over. Judgment passes over her house, and she is saved. Right? There's a parallel there. But also, it's kind of hard not to look forward right, to Jesus. Right? Jesus, who was our Lamb of God, and his red blood painted not a wooden door frame, but the wooden cross. So that if we would believe in him, death would pass over us and judgment will not come to us. And this is the promise of Christmas. Right? Jesus was born so that he would die. So that if you and I would believe in him, just as miraculously as death passed over in Egypt, just as miraculously Rahab was saved from death, you and I will be miraculously saved from death and judgment if we would believe in the blood of Jesus that painted the cross. That is the amazing promise for us. That just like Rahab was an enemy of God, we who are enemies of God with a long list of failures, if we would turn to him with an unexpected faith, our future can be one of salvation as well. Will you hear? And not just hear, but would you believe? But not just believe, bank your life on this God today. Let me show you just what God does for the rest of Rahab's life. After being rescued, we read in Joshua chapter 6, verse 25. This is what, what's written. Rahab, the prostitute, and her father's household, and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day. Oh, sorry. There it is. She has lived in Israel to this day. <coughs> to this day. You know, this is the last we hear about uh, Rahab in the Old Testament. This kind of short sentence. She has lived with us to this day. It's just so short. You're like, I want to know more. And it's actually amazing just how simple and understated this is. Because it's a testimony to the transformation that happens in a life. Because if you think about it, like you'd expect, you'd expect a, lot, a lot more to be written about Rahab. Like, yeah, Rahab came into the, 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 the group and she messed it up. She, she started a brothel in the corner of the city. She tempted people to sin. Right? That husband, da da da. You know, because that's who she is, right? But there's none of that. All we hear is that she lived with us. A Rahab, who was the worst of the worst, an enemy bottom of the barrel of Jericho, living in sin, giving away a life with no moral code, doing whatever she wanted to do to gain more for herself, is able to assimilate into the holy people of God. And she just lives with them peacefully. That's the power of God. And that's the way that her future changes. The next time we read about her is in the New Testament. It's in the Matthew chapter 1 passage, the Christmas tree. Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab, right? Rahab is used by God to produce the Savior of the world. 
Right? God could have chosen any kind of family tree to produce Jesus. He would have gone with the holy people. But God chooses to use a woman who lived a life giving her body away, a prostitute. Right? That's an amazing story of God's redemption. This means that Rahab settled down. She became a family woman. Maybe she got married, she got married to Salmon or Salmon. Salmon. Sorry, sorry, Salmon. God would redeem not just the past, but a future. The next two times she pops out in the New Testament, she is put forward as a shining example for Christians. If you know Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11 is like the hall of fame. Right? The best of the best. It's got a list of people like Abraham and King David and Enoch and Joseph and Moses. They're like listed there as people of faith. And the point of Hebrews 11 is like, these people are great. They're not perfect, but they're great examples. And nestled in amongst these hall of fame people, Rahab. Right, Rahab. And the last time we hear about her is in James chapter 2. James is talking about what obedience looks like. Lived out faith. And then he goes. The example he goes to is Rahab. In the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by her works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. He's saying this is what obedience looks like, guys. This is what lived out faith looks like. Be like her. Be like Rahab. Be like Rahab, the prostitute. Would anyone ever have imagined those words being spoken? Be like Rahab. Rahab? Rahab the prostitute? Rahab the one that lives in the darkest, dodgiest place of the city? Rahab who has given her life away? Rahab? No, no, no. No good can come out of Rahab. Her past is a long list of regrets and mistakes. The best that we can hope for Rahab is that she might do no more harm. Maybe not do any worse, but no good can come out of Rahab. No, be like Rahab. I'm certain people gave up on Rahab. Don't be like that person. I'm sure Rahab gave up on herself. But the message of Christmas, the message of God is that our past does not need to define us. And that God can Not just forgive our past, but he can redeem our future if we would put our faith in Jesus. And he will unfold a beautiful story for the rest of our lives. There are still maybe effects of sin, but God will weave it all into his plan for us. You know, Rahab is immortalized in God's unchanging word. That when the churches gather, we open it up and we read about Rahab a person that people would have given up on. And even though she's referred to as Rahab the prostitute, it's kind of interesting. You know, those words only really describe her. They no longer define her. And I think whenever we hear Rahab the prostitute, it kind of only emphasizes the fact that God was able to transform her to a greater degree than that title. Rahab's story is a message of hope for all of us. It's a message of hope for you. And I hope this Christmas that you might be kind of really reminded, and you've heard it, but then just hear it, believe it, 
don't just believe it. Let it show up in your life. Live it out. This fact that in Jesus Christ, your past can be forgiven. And it does not need to define you. And as we go out as well, not just see yourself in that light, but see other people in that light as well. To not box people in. To not be like no good can come out of them. You know, God's grace and power can do the impossible, even for the worst of the worst, like Rahab and like us. Amen. So let's close our eyes and let's pray.